0: Welcome once again to Calvary Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Ron Hudson, the lead pastor, and I'm so glad you're here this morning for part two of our series Love Endgame. This series is for students. This series is for graduates. This series is for singles, for married people who want to stay that way. Um, This series is for anybody who is interested in a romantic relationship or is in a romantic relationship and wants to do it God's way. And wants to learn what the Bible has to say about this and what we can learn from what Christ taught and what Paul taught. So, if you are in a romantic relationship, you want to be, hope to be, you're trying to figure it out, you're trying to figure out relationships, it's complicated whether you're 13, 16, 26, 36, or 56. It is complicated. And this series gives me a chance to talk about something that breaks my heart. And that is watching people make decisions relationship decisions that undermine their own relationships that mess up their own relationships and when people make decisions that mess up their own relationships it really breaks my heart when they make what's already complicated more complicated it really it it does something to me it just kind of bothers me because there's enough of unavoidable heartbreak in the world without adding to it with our own decisions so last week we talked about two myths myth number 1 is the right person myth. And it's not that that there's a right person out there for everybody. We can argue about that. The right person myth is this belief that no matter what I do now, no matter what's going on in my life right now, no matter what I do, someday I will meet the right person and everything will be okay. I'll be okay. I'll be perfect. I'll have it all figured out. Some of you guys are shaking your head no. Some of you who are married, who know that just not the case married folks last week just busted out laughing Um, that it's just not true when but this is this is something that fuels our culture this is what a lot of people believe that i just need to find the right person and then my relationship problems won't be problems anymore and the problem is i just haven't found the right person and that's just not the case the right person um myth is is a myth once you meet the right person everything's going to be all right it's just not true it's not true um, regardless of what you do now, finding the right person isn't going to make it all better. This fuels our fantasies. And, and the way it fuels our fantasies is most people, when they think about relationships and perfect relationships, they don't fantasize about becoming the right person. They fantasize about finding the right person. Uh, think about it. Have you spent a lot of time thinking, man, when I could just get my character in line, when I could just stop being angry, when I could stop using my words to hurt or harm other people, when I could start to be more gracious and gentle, man, my marriage is going to be great. No, you think about when my wife will learn to stop doing when My husband would let—that's We fantasize about the other person, and so that's how we know this myth exists. Myth number two was the promise myth. And the myth number two is this idea that a promise replaces the need for preparation. That you could do whatever you want in your dating relationships, that you can um, make any kind of immoral decision, that you could just do whatever you want. And someday, when you stand up here at an altar, you know, and Pastor Ron says, you know, say your vows, that that you can just fix all of that with a promise and a party. And that's just not the reality. That's not the reality of what Scripture says. Because a promise doesn't make you capable of. A promise makes you accountable. And when you're accountable for something that you don't know how to do, you're just miserable, right? You're just miserable. And promise is no substitute for preparation. Promise is no substitute for preparation. I do does not necessarily mean I can. And if you aren't preparing, then you won't be prepared. My mom, um, she told me this when I was a little kid. From the time I was a little kid, she said, Ron, never... She called me Ronnie. Ronnie? And she had that you know Arkansas accent. Ronnie? Uh, now you listen here. Never date someone that you don't think would be a good wife. Never ever date someone. Don't even go out with them. Don't, don't flirt with them. Don't go out with someone that you don't think would be a good wife spouse that you don't think you could see yourself marrying someday and that set for me at a very young age it set the bar for what I was looking for when I started dating I don't want to hang out with anybody or take any chances with someone who you know their character isn't there or I don't think that I could commit to this person um, this isn't the type of person that I see myself marrying someday Dating was never about just fun and, and goofing off for me. It was, it was about finding a spouse. And this is where choosing to follow Jesus makes all the difference because he will make your life better and make you better at life. And we in this series are trying to figure out how to become the right person so that um, when you find the person you're looking for, you're the person they're looking for. You have the character that will, will measure up to that. Because Christ will lead you to become a better you, a new you. Jesus' invitation was not um, just pray to me or promise me or negotiate with me. It certainly wasn't, you know, hire me as a consultant. Jesus' invitation to all of us, the same invitation to every single one of us, was follow me. Follow me. And where does following Jesus lead? It takes you somewhere simple, memorable, demanding and rewarding so we're going to be um we're going to pick up in john 15 which we read last week this is jesus one commandment that he gave to us this is the most important thing that he said he said this is my commandment that you love one another and he doesn't say that you can define love any way you want and that you can have your own truth or anything like that he says this is the love i'm talking about you love one another as i have loved you My commandment is this. Just one commandment? Yep, just one commandment. Everything else is just an application and an outworking of this one command. Love each other as I have loved you. It's a whole other kind of love. And today we're going to talk about the fine print of this commandment. The fine print. And the fine print, there's always fine print, right? But this isn't a got you fine print. This is is the kind of fine print that will make you fine. It will make you fine. It will make you into someone worth finding and keeping. These are sweet skills that we all need to acquire because dating is actually practice. And while everybody else is trying to get better in bed, you are going to get better at being a better person, at being a follower of Jesus. Because, and I want you to get this, you should probably write this down if you don't remember anything else today, romance is fueled by exclusivity not experience. Romance is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. Okay? Romance is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. Sex doesn't make a relationship. Sex makes babies. (laughs) I don't see anybody writing that one down. (laughs) Sex doesn't make a relationship. Sex makes babies. And sex is a great part of relationships. It's good. It's healthy. In a marriage relationship. But your problem in your relationship is probably not sex or money. It's probably your walk with Christ. And the Apostle Paul brings us the fine print. In fact, many studies have shown repeatedly that those who have the best sex life are Happily married, committed couples. That married couples have the best um, relationships in intimacy and in the bedroom. And the Apostle Paul brings us this fine print. He took Jesus' new command of loving one another as God has loved us, as the Father has loved Jesus, and as Jesus has loved us, and he explained it. He pieced it out so that Gentiles could understand this. And his, his imperatives are applications. Paul's imperatives are applications of Jesus' command and he tells us what this new jesus-like approach to relationships look like and we're going to look at that today in first corinthians chapter 13 which we've been reading we read it last week we read it this week we're going to continue reading it every week i would love for you to memorize it to get it into your bones and into your mind and into your body first corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love is patient. So, Jesus' love, the kind of love that we are supposed to have for one another, is not pushy. Love is never pushy. Love pushes me to give you room. Because love is patient. You don't want to be pushed or rushed. Nobody likes that. Love chooses to move at the other person's pace. It doesn't pressure the other person to match our own pace. And love is a decision to pause rather than to push. Christ-like love is a decision to pause rather than to push. It's not natural. It's not, because... What's natural is your natural pace. Some of you have hung out with me before. You know I walk like really fast. Just I mean, I, You'll see me up here walking back and forth. I just, this is a normal pace. I have about a four-minute mile walk. Um, and it's like, yeah, or not a four-minute mile walk. That's, that'd be super fast, but maybe 12 minutes. But I, I just like to walk really fast. My wife likes to walk really slow. And this irritates me. Okay, we go to Target. And I think it's a personal attack against me as a person that she won't walk with me. And so, what do I do? I walk way out in front of her, which is an expression of my love for her. Some of you guys are rolling your eyes. <laughs> you rolled your eyes so big, Melissa, I thought they were going to fall out. <laughs> is that not an expression? Is that, what is that communicating when I'm walking? Hmm, come on, come on. What are you doing? Why are you so slow? Is that, is that love? Does that feel like love? Does that look like love? Does it smell like love? Does that look like Jesus? You think Jesus was doing that with? Come on, guys, you walk too slow. We got time to go. We got things. No, that is not love. That is not love. My natural pace is natural to me, but it's not natural to my wife. Her natural pace is natural for her, but it's not natural to me. My pace is what's natural for me, and I naturally feel entitled to be pushy when others make me wait. Right? Come on, we got places to go. People to see. Things to do. So I feel entitled to be pushy when other people make me wait. But you know what? I, I just talked with Pastor Joe about this this week. Or last week. When I'm pushy, guess what? I don't feel like me. When I'm impatient, I don't feel good about it. Even if I feel entitled to be impatient and, and to to treat other people this way, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel like me. When I'm pushy, I don't feel like I'm being the me that I want to be. When you're pushy, I bet you don't feel good about yourself either. I bet you don't look at yourself and say, wow, that guy is cool. (laughs) You know the guy that's complaining? You don't think of yourself as awesome and all together and the kind of person that you want to hang out with. When you think of, man, I want to hang out with someone, you don't think of, I want to hang out with someone who's really impatient and barking orders all the time. Right? No, we don't. When you're pushy, I bet you don't feel love. And you don't feel loving. What if instead of directing all this anxiety and stress and impatience at my wife or my partner or my kids or people that I I volunteer spend time with, what if? instead of directing all that anxiety and impatience and stress at others, just trying to will to speed them up, what if instead I focused on choosing love by practicing patience? Love defers. It's what God did and does for you. Paul writes it like this in Romans 5, eight, But God commended His love towards us And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And many of you, you had plenty of time in your life where you did not honor Christ, you did not follow Christ. And aren't you glad he wasn't like, Well, are you coming or not? Because the boat's leaving. And he waited for you. Many of you rejected Christ. You came to a church, maybe it was an old church service, maybe it was a new church service, and there was an altar call, and and you said, I'm not this week. Or you had a friend at work who just nagged you. Why don't you come to church? Why don't you come to church? Why don't you accept Christ? Why don't you, why don't you start following God with me? And you just, no, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. And then finally, something changed in your life. You came to a moment. You said, okay, I'll trust you, God. And Christ was patient. God was patient with you. He continues to be patient with you as you, as you fail, as you struggle and stumble in um, your sanctification and in your growth, God accommodates to our capacity, in our growth, and thank God He does. It's called grace, and God moves at our pace, and we are to do the same for others. To go the distance relationally, you need to have a well exercised patience muscle. So practice patience now, so you'll be ready to exercise it later. Okay, the next one, First Corinthians thirteen. Um, is kind love is kind love is kind and kindness sounds like kind of like a smarmy kind of like weak thing like a soft fluffy kindness Uh, i don't know kindness is nice for some people but it's not like uh, strong is it the reality is that unkindness is weak Unkindness is weakness. Unkindness indicates that you can't control yourself. That you can't control your tongue or your actions or your anger or your pride. Unkindness is never a commentary on the person you are unkind to. It's only a commentary on you. When you're unkind to someone, people don't look and say, wow, I'm glad you gave that to them. They think, wow, what a jerk. That's, re- that's in reality what, what we see and what we think. It's not cool. It doesn't look cool. Kindness is this, kindness is loaning someone your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. Kindness is loaning someone your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. It's doing for others what they cannot in that moment do for themselves. Kindness is love's response to weakness. It's what God did for you, right? It's what God did for you. In fact, Paul, he prayed three times. God, take this sword from me. Take this sword from me. And guess says, no, because in your weakness, you will be made strong through Christ. And kindness is what God does for us. Jesus didn't yell at you and kick you while you're down. Jesus' harshest words were reserved for those who had power, who were the religious leaders of that day and were abusing their power, not for the weak. And Jesus loaned you His strength in the midst of your weakness. So what is your go-to response to weakness? What is your go-to response to weakness? What do you do? If you're dating, pay close attention to your boyfriend or your girlfriend's response to weakness in others. Because they're on their best behavior when they're with you. They're on their best behavior. Everything is buttoned up and they're doing their very best. But if they treat others unkind, eventually they will treat you unkind. If they talk about others behind their back, eventually they will talk about you behind your back. And if they handle conflict with others using unkindness as a tool to beat people into submission, they will treat you the same exact way. That's a red flag. How do you think they'll handle conflict with you, with your family, or with your children? People who use kindness as a means to an end usually end up mean in the end. Think about it. People use kindness as a means to an end to try to woo or, or court someone and it's not a part of their character, they end up mean in the end. They say things like, you did this. You made me so crazy. You make me so crazy. Oh, you make me so mad. I'm unkind because you did this and they blame someone else. That's unkindness. It's ungodly. It's not Christian. No matter what your reasoning is, no matter how many Scripture verses you, you think you have behind it, when you are unkind, you are un like That's not Jesus' stuff. That's not God's stuff. God does not say, yes, get them. No. You are violating the law of love. That's weakness. Strength is able to choose how I will respond when others are unkind. Strength chooses how I will respond based on who I am and who I want to be, not based on who they are and who they choose to be. I, say this, I used to say this to teens all the time. I said, show respect to your teachers and other adults in your life, not because they deserve respect, but because you are respectable. Because you are a respectful person. Maybe they deserve respect, maybe they don't. But you show respect because that's who you are. You are respectful. So respect comes out of you, not as a response to what someone else does. That's godlike res- respect. That's, that's love. That's I have character in me. I have Christ-likeness in me. I am a new creature, so I do these things regardless of what others choose to do around me. And so Paul gives us next this toxic trio. We saw love is patient. Love is kind. Here's the toxic trio. Love does not envy or boast. And it is not arrogant. It is not arrogant. This is the toxic trio. Envy is you have it better than me, so I'm afraid of losing, so I need to to say something or do something or feel bad. Envy is, is all about insecurity. In fact, all three of these are about insecurity. Envy says, I know I won't be loved in the end, so I need to be diligent about the moment that tide shifts. And so I'm going to keep track, I'm going to keep score of where we are in our relationship. And the second that the tide shifts and we're not off balance and the teeter-totter is one side stronger, ha, you get to do this and I don't get to do that and it's, it must be nice. And that's envy. And that has nothing to do with love. Boast. People who boast, are they confident people? No. Boasting is, is out of insecurity too because like, like they say, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it or see it, does it make a sound? People who boast believe that if they don't tell you about what they did, it doesn't count. If they don't tell you, I did this amazing thing, then it doesn't count. And it comes out of insecurity because if they think if I don't get praise for the good that I did, then it doesn't matter. If I don't tell you why you should like me or love me, then you won't like me or love me or approve of me. And so we boast. And it's out of this response of, of this fear that I've got to make sure that other people see my value. Arrogance. Arrogance is the I can do it i don't need any help no no i got this i'm better than everyone if you couldn't do it then everybody would know you are incapable and so you make sure that you tell them you can do it and you don't need any help even when you absolutely can't do it and you're stuck and you desperately need help arrogance is self-preservation and the tragedy is that arrogance kills curiosity no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I don't need to hear it, I'm, I'm fine. I, yeah, of course I know that. It, kills, it just kills curiosity. And if you don't have curiosity, then you can't learn. You can't grow. Curiosity is the key to growth. Curiosity is, is the gateway to adventure and fun, and arrogance sucks the fun out of a room. We have to have curiosity in our walk with Christ, or else we won't say, why do I keep failing in this? And the Scripture says this, but I don't feel this, so what is wrong where where did i believe a lie where did i go wrong that i'm having this trouble following and being obedient to christ we need to work that out figure it out so we can fix it love allows the other person to shine it isn't threatened by someone else's success love is able to purely celebrate someone else's success it doesn't have to one-up it And if you don't feel good about yourself or you find that it's hard to let others feel good about themselves, then this is you. In fact, when you don't feel good about yourself, then you will find it difficult and weird and awkward to let others feel good about themselves. Love is fine with someone else being in the spotlight. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus, who was worthy of of counting equality with with God, something to be grasped. He didn't take it. In fact, Jesus never played the God card. He never walked into a restaurant and said, alright, get up. That's my seat. What do you mean? Who are you? I'm God's son. (laughs) He never played the God card. In fact, He deferred. He said, no, go ahead. No, you first. He could have. He could have totally done that. But he didn't. He didn't. He never took that that power as something just for his own personal use. He only used it for others. Jesus laid down what he deserved to pick up and picked up what you and I deserve. Jesus laid down what he deserved so that he could pick up what you and I deserve. That's the kind of love that he's talking about. He deserved glory and praise and adoration and perfect relationship with his Father. And he, power, and he sets that aside on the cross to take on your sin and my sin and my shame and my brokenness. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Pay close attention to the internal reaction that you have to the success of the people closest to you, when you see them succeed, what is the very first knee-jerk reaction that comes into your your feeling? Is it joy? Yes! Good job! Congratulations! Or is it, oh, I better put a smile on. What is that? The issue is your ability to love like God and Christ loved you. You need to exercise that muscle a lot. You need to exercise that muscle a lot. And catch yourself and say, no, I'm going to choose to celebrate in this moment. Because that's what Christ would do. This next one is so important in our culture. This next one is, love is not rude. To be rude is offensively or impolite or ill-mannered. But it's beyond that. It's not just bad manners. Um, when I grew up in Japan, my parents were missionaries there. It was rude to not pick up your bowl and drink out of it. I heard moms yell at their kid who was using a spoon like this, you know, like going down like this, like, "What are you doing? You're not a dog. Sit up straight and pick up your bowl like a human. <laughs> but then when I was in America, I'm drinking out of my bowl, <laughs> you know, my cereal bowl. You know, my mom my, my would yell, what are you doing? Put that down. You're not a barbarian. <laughs> so, so which is it? In fact, manners aren't, aren't about the actual behaviors. We have all these manners in every culture. There's flags from all around the world here where we have missionaries and where we have uh, partners in ministry. And manners aren't about the actual behavior. Manners are about honor. It's about we as a society collectively deciding this is the kind of behavior you do to show honor to others around you, it took me a long time to figure that out. I don't know if it's ADD or, or what, but that the manners are a way that you show honor to others around you. It really comes down to honor. and love understands honor and chooses not to behave in a dishonorable way. Love does not behave disgracefully or dishonorably or dis- indecently. Love doesn't create regret. Love doesn't insist on another drink. Guys, you would be so, so unique in our culture if you would decide to never, ever dishonor a woman. If you would make a decision in your heart, I will never dishonor a woman. I will never, ever be a woman's regret. That would, that would make you stand out. You'd be completely different from all the other guys out there honor is a term we don't use much but it's at the heart of every satisfying relationship in fact dr john gottman um, when he talks about the four horsemen of divorce the biggest indicator of divorce is a couple that shows contempt which is fundamental dishonor honor is, is is at the center of every satisfying relationship paul defines it this way in Philippians 2:3, he says, "Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves." Another way of saying that is, "In humility, value others above yourselves." Does that mean that they're actually more valuable than you? No. No. But you treat them as if they were. Well, why would I do that? Because that's what God in Christ did for you. That's what God in Christ did for you. Why else would Jesus lay down his life for a friend? He treated you as though you had more value than him. And you know how to do this. Every one of us know how to do this. Imagine that you won an amazing prize and you could have dinner with any musician or movie star or famous person that you can imagine, any sports star you get dinner with them exciting it could be even be someone dead all right you you win this amazing dinner so how would you behave how would you respond you would show up early you'd make sure you're dressed appropriately right and what would you do if they were a little bit late Come on, Denzel. What do you think this is? Retirement home? I've got places to go. (laughs) No, no, no. You wouldn't do that. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm late. No, no. Don't worry about it. The honor is all mine. I'm just glad that we get to do this. This is so cool that I get to to meet you. You wouldn't care if they were late. You would you would give them all kind of leeway and grace. You would be on your best behavior. You wouldn't be rude. You would have conversation. You would let them talk because you want to hear what they have to say. You would bend over backwards to make sure that you made a great impression. And that's what honor looks like. You would bring your best version of you. So here's some dangerous advice. Don't stay in a relationship where you are constantly dishonored. If you are dating, in fact, if you're dating right now, and you are in a relationship where you are constantly being dishonored, I want you to take out your phone and say, we're done. And then hand it to someone next to you so they can change your number. Because you should not stay in a dating relationship where you're constantly dishonored. It's probably not going to get better. You're like, well, I'm married. Okay, well, there's some strategies to deal with that too. You shouldn't tolerate dishonor. Because what happens if we tolerate dishonor in our relationships... If we allow other people to treat us dishonorably, then we start to think that we are dishonorable, and then we behave accordingly. Well, I'm dishonorable anyways. I'm just a you know a scum anyways. So I might as well behave like that. And then we start stop behaving with character. And I'm not obviously I'm not saying to go get a divorce, but if you're if your marriage has dishonor in it, you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. There should be rules of engagement in your fighting. Okay? Even the government who kills people has rules of engagement. You should have rules of engagement in your arguing. And and one of Lee and I's rules of engagement is we don't we don't call names and we don't put each other down. Now we might do that when we're when we're not arguing, teasing each other, right? But when we're arguing. We don't call each other names. And we don't put each other down. Because if it goes over that line, the conversation's done. We need a timeout. We need a break. We've got we to gotta step apart. Because that's, just, that's taking us to a bad place. It's just not acceptable. It's not Christ-like. It's not loving. And it's going to wreck us. So, do not tolerate dishonorable behavior. You are inherently honorable the value of a thing is determined by the price it will bring. And you have been bought with a price by Jesus. So don't allow yourself to be dishonored. And don't dishonor anyone else. Do not dishonor anyone else. So some of you are thinking, wow, this sounds like the worst date ever, Pastor Rod. Like super boring. You know, we're going to go out to eat and talk all honorably to each other and use our best manners and I'll be home at like 8.30 and that way I could be ready for work tomorrow. Super boring. Uh, uh, I'm to be patient and kind and drop her off by nine Uh, so that I can head back to my apartment for school the next day or work. Well, you can be impatient and you can be unkind While you look for someone that is patient and kind and honorable, but the problem is they're probably not looking for you. Think about it. They're probably not looking for you. And so if you go on a date with somebody who is uncomfortable with patience, do you want that for the rest of your life? You go on a date with someone that's uncomfortable with kindness? You want that for the rest of your life? You go on a date with someone and they're dishonorable? Do you want your kids to learn that? In fact, um, if someone treated your, your sister, your niece, your mom that way, the way that some of you guys have treated women, you'd be calling me up saying, Pastor, we've got to go beat someone up. <laughs> Because they dishonored my mom. Think about it. You're building a home. A marriage is not just a a place where you're going to find happiness. That's not what it's about. It's about creating a team and a base, a home base for following Jesus. And we're a church where broken people find hope and we find hope in Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ. And so we create relationships that are going to help encourage us to be obedient to Christ. And that's what you're looking for in a spouse. That's what you're looking for in a date. That's what you're looking for in marriage. You may not know it, but that's what you, you desperately hope and need. And This is how you become a person worth looking for. This is the fine print. This is how you become a person worth staying for. It's how you you become a person that the person who entrusted their future to you was hoping for. But none of this comes naturally. Since naturally leads to just naturally, naturally doesn't lead to satisfying relationships. Most married people thought it would come naturally. That when they found the right person, everything would just kind of fall into place It would all be easy and natural, and it would just. They thought their partner would be so perfect that they wouldn't require patience. But marrying well will make you a better person since you'll be focused and face to face with your own selfishness. Then, when you think you've conquered it, when you think you've got it all figured out, then kids come along (laughs) and expose there's a whole nother level of of selfishness you have to tackle so here's the thing i want you to win relationally i want you to win but to win you have to prepare you have to work on it you have to work to become like christ and following jesus and embracing his new covenant his his brand of love will prepare you to win so paul has more fine print we're going to look at that next week don't miss part three of love Endgame. game but i want to make a suggestion for this week i want you to find a bible Find a, a book Bible or find a Bible on your phone, U Version Bible app, or just Google it, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want you to read every day. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. If we're reading it on Sunday morning. I want you to read every day, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Allow this to get into your mind, into your body, into your spirit, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Read and pray this every day for a week. Heavenly Father, help me to be patient and kind. Remind me to celebrate rather than envy. And, before I close in prayer, if a promise is no substitute for preparation, here's three questions. You can write these down. You can take a picture of them. You can talk with your spouse. You can talk with your friend. If you're not dating, you can talk with someone that's a good friend. I want you to think about these questions. This is your homework because I want you to to put this on. I want you to carry this with you. If a promise is no substitute for preparation, what can you do beginning today to prepare yourself to be successful relationally? What can you prepare yourself? Number two, where do you have work to do? When I talked about patience, kindness, and public celebration of others or honor, which one... (laughs) Really stuck like a hot knife. For me is patience. I gotta work on that. I gotta work on that. What about for you? What stuck out to you that you know you need to get on your knees and say, God help me with this. Expose it, show me, and help me change. If you're stuck there, you can ask your partner or your friends, which one do you think I struggle with? They'll tell you, they will tell you with no no bones about it. Number three, when you think about dinner with a favorite actor or actress or someone famous or that you admire, what would you remind yourself not to do or say that you typically do or say? Think about that this week. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for creating this place, for bringing these people together to be a church where broken people find hope. And God, we pray this week, we invite you this week, your Holy Spirit, to continue to do the work of sanctification and transformation in our hearts as we follow you as your disciples. Expose to us where we are impatient or unkind, where we are scared to celebrate others or give them the spotlight, and we're arrogant. Exposed to us where we dishonor other people, Don't let that be okay with us. Nudge us in our spirit and we will respond this week. Show it to us so that we can change, so that we can lean into You, so that we can become followers of You, so that we can be conformed to Your image as You've called us to be Your people in this place, Your church. Help us to share the love of Christ, to tell others about the Gospel, and to bless those around us with your presence, your peace, and grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.